Thank you, Mr. Cole. Sons and daughters of the Reformation, the year 2017. The year 2017 is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation of the Church in 1517. This is a historic year, therefore, a year of commemoration on the part of the children and heirs of the Reformation. At the very heart of this Reformation was the gospel truth of justification by faith alone. Jesus Christ reformed his church in that year by returning her to the gospel of salvation and particularly justification by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. Since the very heart of the gospel of grace is the doctrine of justification by faith alone, Jesus Christ enlightened and emboldened his chosen servant, Martin Luther, and then all the Reformers, including John Calvin, to see and proclaim and defend justification by faith alone. All of the Reformed confessions, including our Heidelberg Catechism, clearly explain the doctrine and defend it against all its adversaries, particularly the Roman Catholic heresy of justification by faith and by works. I refer, for example, to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Days 23 through 25, question 65. Defense of this truth of justification by faith alone was necessary on account of the false doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church that sinners are justified in part by their own good works. Defense of the gospel truth of justification by faith alone is necessary again in 2017 because of the introduction today into Presbyterian and Reformed churches, indeed many evangelical churches, of the false doctrine of justification by faith and by works. These Reformed churches include those with a name for orthodoxy, indeed churches that apparently are outstanding champions of Reformed orthodoxy in the opinion of the church world. I refer to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, to the Presbyterian Church in America, and to the United Reformed Churches. The name of the movement that promotes the heresy of justification by works in our day, in these churches and others, the name of that heresy is the federal vision. Federal means covenant, so that the source of the heresy is a certain theology of the doctrine of the covenant. The source of the heresy is a doctrine of a conditional covenant, as that doctrine of a conditional covenant has been taught for many years by the liberated Reformed churches and their daughter churches in North America, the Canadian Reformed churches. By the speech tonight, Therefore, the RFPA is not only commemorating a historic event that took place 500 years ago, but it is at the same time defending the gospel truth that was the heart of that Reformation. By means of this speech, among other works of the RFPA, the RFPA is nailing the thesis of the gospel of grace to the church doors. The RFPA has also recently done both of these things, that is, defend the gospel truth of justification and promote it by the publication of a book on justification titled The Gospel Truth of Justification. 
That book is a thorough explanation of the truth of justification by faith alone. And it is at the same time a defense of that truth against the contemporary heresy. The book intended to duplicate or repeat Luther's act of nailing the theses of grace to the church door. My speech tonight will draw much from the book. And I may do that without the accusation of plagiarism because I am the author of that book. Today, as in 1517, the enemies of justification by faith alone appeal especially to James in defense of their heresy, particularly to the second chapter of the epistle to James, which our chairman read out to us tonight. That passage, they think, is the power of their attack on justification by faith alone. I do not suppose that it is impossible that the movements and their attack on justification by faith alone will have no effect on the Protestant Reformed churches. We are not automatically immune to the influences of the heresies that swirl About us. My speech, therefore, tonight is After 500 years, what about James on justification? I begin with some historical background of the subject, some church history that sheds light on the Reformation's confession of justification by faith alone in the 16th century, and a brief account of the history that makes our defense of justification by faith alone necessary. Keep in mind, as the philosopher has once said, those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. Over the years prior to the Reformation, the church, the one church of that day, committed itself to the heresy of justification by faith and by the good works of the children of God. By one's own good works, or those of other humans which could be bought for oneself, one had to earn salvation and eternal life. The church used the word merit. By good works, one merited his or her salvation. But of course, in order to merit with God, one must have something of his own to give to God. And that something was one's own free will, according to the church of that day. According to that church, humans retained after the fall the power of a free will. And by the exercise of that free will to perform good works, sinners could merit righteousness and salvation with God. Notice, in passing, that the error of justification by works and the error of free will are always inextricably related to each other. According to the church of that day, good works were not all that were required for salvation. The work of Christ, especially his death, was also required for the salvation of the sinner, and the sinner received the death of Christ by the grace of God. But one's own good works were necessary, along with the death of Christ. Without his own good works, one could not be justified and could not be saved. Good works, they said, are necessary for salvation. One worked during his earthly life in order to merit with God. And that, my friends, made of human life a terror and an agony. Always the sinner was asking, am I doing enough? And is what I am doing good enough in order to merit? And inevitably the reply came back to his conscience, you are not doing enough. And what you are doing is not good enough. 
Works were necessary, however, for salvation. It was thought and believed. And one worked during his earthly life in order to merit with God, to present his works to God as earning his justification and his salvation. And because most men never worked enough or well enough, purgatory became necessary to accomplish the work of suffering for sin. Jesus, the church would acknowledge, did most of the suffering, by far the greater part of the suffering necessary for the payment of sin. But the sinner himself had to add to this work in purgatory. The false church in the early 16th century was proclaiming justification by faith, all right, but by faith and by good works. Two aspects of this doctrine are especially important to notice tonight. First, what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church never taught justification by works only. She taught justification by faith, but she added works, faith and works. This meant that she proclaimed justification by grace. Emphatically, she proclaimed justification by grace. But she denied that justification is by grace only. She added works. Works are necessary for justification and salvation. What was vital for the Reformation gospel, therefore, was the confession of the word only. Everything, in a way, hinged upon that word only. Justification by faith only. Salvation by grace only. Without the works of the sinner. Rome raged against Luther's supposed insertion of the word only in the important text, Romans 3, verse 28. According to Luther's translation, Romans 3, verse 28 teaches that we are justified by faith only. The original Greek does not contain the word only, and the Roman church charged Luther with adding to Scripture. But of course he didn't add to Scripture there because the word only is found in the text, not explicitly, but by implication. When the text says we are justified by faith without the works of the law, the text itself is teaching that we are justified by faith only. But that's one thing about the Roman doctrine that we must notice. It did teach justification by faith, but it did not teach justification by faith only. The second observation about the Roman doctrine is this. The good works that the Roman Catholic Church taught as necessary for justification were genuinely good works, works that the saved sinner performs by the working of the Holy Spirit within him or her. Now in practice, they added many other spurious works. For example, indulgences, pilgrimages, and more. But the official doctrine of Rome has always been that the good works that are necessary for justification are genuine good works, works that can be done only by the grace of God. I emphasize this in order to make clear to everyone that Rome's explanation of justification by works could be convincing. The sinner is justified by faith in Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ is the main part of our righteousness with God. Regarding our works, we perform them only by the grace of the Holy Spirit within us. Thus, says Rome, we do justice to the gospel truth of justification by faith and salvation by grace. One more element of Rome's doctrine 
then and now should be noticed. It's defense of its teaching that justification is not by faith alone, but also by the good works of the sinner. This indicates why Rome could teach justification by works. It is necessary to teach justification by works, Rome has always contended, in order to make the people diligent in living a holy life. To teach justification by faith alone is to encourage the people to be slack in holy living, or even to cause them to live careless and wicked lives. Justification by faith alone is dangerous for the congregation. The relentless charge against the Reformation and against its doctrine of justification by faith alone has always been that the Reformation doctrine is antinomian, literally against the law, meaning a doctrine that causes people to live carelessly and wickedly. Underlying that charge is the notion that the main, if not the only, motivation for a godly life is terror at damnation and determination to earn or accomplish one's own salvation. I'll deny that later in the speech, but I put this to you as a question. Is that, in fact, the main motive for Christian living? Is that why we who are gathered here are determined to live according to the law of God, a holy life, because we're scared of going to hell and because we think we must do that in order to earn or deserve our salvation? Or is there another, far more powerful motive for living the Christian life and a motive that is in perfect harmony with the truth that we are justified by faith alone, apart from our own good works. The biblical basis, supposedly, for the doctrine of justification by faith and by good works, as the Roman Catholic Church taught in those days, was emphatically and almost exclusively James 2, verses 14 through 26. Verse 21 of James 2 concerning Abraham says that he was justified by works. Verse 24 says, I quote, By works a man is justified and not by faith only, end of quote. And verse 25 asks the question, the rhetorical question, quote, Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, end of quote. Recognize with me how seemingly strong, if not conclusive, is in the controversy over justification, James 2 is. Nevertheless, the Roman Catholic Church had to reckon with Romans 3 through 5 and the entire epistle to the Galatians. They teach that justification is by faith and not by the works of the law. Rome had an explanation of Romans 3 through 5 and of the book of Galatians. And their explanation and argumentation goes like this. Never does Romans 3 through 5 expressly state justification by faith alone. Luther, to the contrary, notwithstanding, Romans 3 through 5 teaches that justification is by faith, but never do you find in the passage the word only. Rome accused Luther of corrupting scripture when he inserted the word alone in his translation of Romans 3 verse 28. Also, and this is of crucial importance, Rome claims that the good works that Romans and Galatians have in mind when they exclude good works from justification, are only the civil and ceremonial works that Old Testament Israel was required to perform in the time of the Old Testament. 
Rome denies that the good works excluded in Romans and Galatians in the matter of justification are the genuine good works of the child of God that he performs by the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul does not have in view genuine good works done in obedience to the Ten Commandments. Rome, therefore, understands Romans 3, verse 28 this way. Follow me carefully. Quote, By faith, that is, we are justified by faith, without the deeds of the civil and ceremonial law for Israel in the Old Testament. But we are justified by the deeds of obedience to the law of the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. End of my virtual quotation of Romans' understanding of Romans 3, verse 28. Fundamental to the doctrine of justification of the Roman Catholic Church is that justification in James has the same sense and meaning that justification has in the epistles of Paul. According to Rome, justification in James is the forensic or legal judgment of God upon the sinner, giving him the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ in his conscience so that he has peace with God. However, according to Rome, works in Paul and James are different. In Paul, the works are only those Old Testament civil and ceremonial works, whereas in James they are genuine good works. Against this doctrine of what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church, the devout monk, Martin Luther, reacted. And he reacted the way only he could react, but also with a reaction that was worthy in view of the seriousness of the issue. He could find no peace for his soul in the doctrine of justification by good works. He outworked all other monks of that day, and even though he did, he felt that his work still came short of the righteousness of God, and they did come short of the righteousness of God. For his works, like the good works of all of us, were imperfect and therefore refused for righteousness by an awesomely holy God. We sometimes say about Luther that he had a deep understanding of sin, and he did. But we must not overlook that he had an equally profound understanding of the awesome holiness of God. That is a holiness that cannot be satisfied in the matter of righteousness with himself with a work that is imperfect. Luther wrote, and the writing strikes me as pathetic, that he came to hate the God of Romans 1 verse 17, a God whose righteousness is always condemning the unrighteous sinner, no matter how hard the unrighteous sinner tried to placate him by his obedience to the law, no matter how hard the sinner tried. Then, in his spiritual agony, was revealed to Luther that the righteousness of God is a righteousness that is given to sinners, not a righteousness that is earned by sinners. And that God gives this righteousness by means of faith, from faith to faith, as Romans 1 verse 17 proclaims. With this revelation, cried Luther, the doors of paradise swung open to me to enter in. God gives righteousness freely by faith, not by the sinner's works. And God gives righteousness by faith only not by faith and the good works of the sinner. The righteousness of justification is a gift. Salvation is by grace. This is the gospel truth of Romans 3 through 5 and of the epistle to the Galatians. Quote, Without 
the deeds of the law, end quote, which means without the sinner's good works. And the works excluded by God in the divine act of justification are all works, including the genuinely good works that the believer performs by the operation of the Holy Ghost within him. Therefore, Luther, instrument of God that he was, began the Reformation, which taught as the very heart of its gospel, as it is the heart of the gospel of Holy Scripture, justification by faith alone. The Roman Catholic Church responded with a monotonous appeal to James II. That monotonous appeal to James II so exasperated Luther that on one occasion, in an unguarded moment, he dismissed the epistle of James as a, quote, right strawy epistle, end of quote. That is, an epistle of straw in comparison with Paul's golden epistles of Romans and Galatians. That's a judgment, by the way, that Luther later recanted. He came to understand the meaning and truth, especially of James chapter 2, and recognized the book of James as a right orthodox epistle. In fact, he wrote a glorious commentary on the epistle of James. Now I bring this history concerning justification up to date. Today, there is a renewal of Rome's heresy and the abandonment of the Reformation gospel of justification by faith alone within conservative Presbyterian and Reformed churches. There is the open teaching of justification by faith and by the good works of the sinner with monotonous appeal to James chapter 2 to support the heresy. And as I said, these churches include the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Church in America, and the United Reformed Churches. These are churches, by the way, that dominate the ecumenical organization that calls itself NAPARC. This false doctrine of justification arises from and is promoted by these churches' doctrine of a conditional covenant. The name of this doctrine, given it by those who teach this doctrine themselves, is the federal vision. And federal means covenant. That indicates that they themselves acknowledge and proclaim that their heresy of justification by faith and works is a covenant doctrine at root. The ecclesiastical source of the heresy in our day are the liberated Reformed churches and their daughters in North America, the Canadian Reformed churches. Very briefly, the development of the heresy of justification by faith and works, according to the federal vision, is that the heresy rises out of the doctrine of a conditional covenant. According to this covenant doctrine, the covenant depends upon the act of faith of the baptized child and the good works that that baptized child must perform all his life long. In the covenant, salvation is not by grace alone and by faith alone, but salvation is by faith and by the continuing good works of the baptized child. The covenant, therefore, depends upon the baptized child and not upon God in Jesus Christ exclusively. Therefore, according to this covenant doctrine, justification in the sphere of the covenant is by faith in Christ and by the good works of the baptized child. I notice in passing with this audience how important was the struggle of the Protestant Reformed churches in 1953 and how our con confession of an unconditional covenant, a covenant in which salvation and justification are by faith alone and not by the works of the baptized child, 
how important that struggle was, and how that struggle enables us, the Protestant Reformed churches, to witness to the Reformed churches that are presently being corrupted by the heresy of the federal vision. Crucial is the harmony of Paul and James regarding justification and the present-day controversy over the covenant Appeal is always made on behalf of justification by works to James II, just as Rome has always grounded its doctrine in James II. And so the question is, how are Paul and James to be harmonized? To that I turn now. Two principles must govern our explanation of justification in Paul And in James. First, the Bible does not contradict itself, least of all in its doctrine of salvation, which is certainly at stake in this matter of the federal vision and its teaching of justification by faith and works. Romans 3 through 5 on the one hand, and the book of of Galatians. And then James 2, on the other hand, are not contradictory. They harmonize. Romans 3 through 5 does not teach justification by faith alone, whereas James 2 teaches justification by faith and by works, both of them meaning the same thing by justification. That's one principle of Scripture that is our starting point in this harmonizing. The second principle of the interpretation of the Bible that is important here is, in every instance, is that the Bible itself explains the Bible. Scripture explains Scripture. And where there is difficulty in understanding a certain passage of Scripture, Scripture itself must be allowed to solve the problem. And the Bible does this inasmuch as there are always clearer passages that explain the more difficult passage. What I've just laid out is important for our understanding of the Bible everywhere and all its doctrines, but these principles or basic truths are of utmost utmost importance in harmonizing Paul and James on justification. The doctrine of Romans and Galatians is a doctrine of salvation. And that it is a doctrine of salvation is crystal clear. It is evident beyond all doubt that Romans and Galatians teach the doctrine of salvation. How the guilty sinner is saved from sin and death and woe appalling. Particularly how a sinner becomes righteous before the awesomely holy God without which righteousness there is not and cannot be salvation. According to Romans and Galatians, salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ, apart from all the works, including the genuinely good works that the sinner performs. Salvation, therefore, is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, according to Galatians and Romans. In the interests of time, I appeal only to two texts in the passage Romans 3 through 5. First of all, there is Romans 3, verse 28. Quote, justified by faith without the deeds of the law, end quote. That is, without good works. And then Romans 4, verse 5, quote, but to him that worketh not, But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And similarly, I restrict myself with reference to the book of Galatians and refer only to one passage in the book of Galatians. Galatians 2 verse 16, probably the most important As far as we are concerned tonight, quote, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ 
and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Evident in Romans 4 verse 5 is the absolute exclusion of human works in the matter of justification. Romans 4 verse 5 states that justification is the gift of God to him that worketh not. That is to the man or woman who does not work for justification. Who has no work of his own to accomplish justification. And who relying upon the grace of God absolutely refuses to work in order to justify himself. He worketh not. Also the text states that the one who is justified is regarding his justification ungodly. God justifies one who is ungodly at the moment of justification. And he's ungodly not because he doesn't believe in God at the moment of his justification. He does. But he's ungodly because he has no work of his own that is able to accomplish his justification. Even his best works are defiled with sin. So that in the matter of justification, as he stands before the justifying God, he appears in that judgment seat as ungodly and only ungodly. An ungodly person has nothing to contribute to his own justification. Then, with regard to Galatians as well, it is evident that at issue in the matter of justification by faith alone are salvation, the cross of Christ, the grace and glory of God, And not least of all, the sinner's, the believing sinner's assurance of his own salvation. My friends, justification by faith alone without works is assurance of salvation. And apart from justification by faith alone without our works, there is not and cannot be assurance of salvation. The grand passage, Romans 3 through 5, makes plain that bound up with justification by faith alone is assurance of salvation. Where chapter 5 verse, verse 1 begins, we have peace with God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God is assurance, perfect assurance of salvation. Only an assurance of salvation is their peace with God. That's Romans and Galatians. That raises the question, what about James chapter 2? It cannot contradict Paul in Romans and Galatians, nor does it contradict them. James himself makes plain that he means something different by justification than what Paul means by justification in Romans and Galatians. Justification in Romans and in James are not the same. James means the demonstration or showing of justification to others, not the declaration of the forgiveness of sins and the declaration in the consciousness of the sinner of righteousness with God the judge. I prove that now from James 2. James is condemning those who claim to be justified by faith, but live scandalously wicked lives without repenting. Such a person, James teaches, such a person says he has faith, but he has no works. That's verse 14. Now over against that kind of church member, James argues that if we have faith, the faith that justifies us, we will show this faith by our good works. That's verse 18. Show me your faith, James says, by your works. Justification in James is the demonstrating or showing that we have faith 
and that we are justified. Faith without works is dead. And if it is dead, it is no true faith at all. Verse 20. James then is calling us to show our faith, that is, to demonstrate it by our works. And when we demonstrate our faith, we will at the same time be demonstrating the reality of our justification with God. Two elements of James 2 prove beyond all contradiction that James does not teach justification by works in the sense that Paul uses the word justification in Romans and Galatians. First, in verse 18, James says, Show me your faith. That indicates that he means by justification the showing of the reality of faith and justification. And then there is a second element in James 2, one that is all but ignored, but that is extremely important, that proves that James is speaking of justification in a different sense than Paul speaks of justification in Romans and Galatians. And that's this. Rightly understood, James 2 teaches that a man is justified by his works only. James 2 is not saying, is not teaching that a man is justified by faith and by his works. James teaches that a man is justified by works only. In verse 24, James writes, A man is not justified by faith only, but by works. He denies that we are justified by faith only. And he insists that rather we are justified by works, that is, by works only. Now, if James means by justification... The same thing that Paul means by justification, he is flatly contradicting the Apostle Paul in Romans and Galatians. For Paul certainly does teach that we are justified by faith, and in fact teaches that we are justified by faith only, and not by works. James, on the other hand, teaches that we are justified by works only. James means that works justify in a way that faith does not and cannot justify. Works justify in this way that they demonstrate the reality of faith and justification. If I would say to you, I am justified by faith, you have no proof that I have faith, and that by that faith I am justified. Why not? Because you can't look into my heart. You can't see my faith. Nobody can see my faith. And therefore, nobody can observe justification by faith. But when my life appears to you, not as perfect, but nevertheless as a life of good works, you have the demonstration of my faith and the demonstration of my justification by that faith. For a true living faith always works. Summing up, Paul teaches justification by faith, meaning by justification the saving of the sinner by forgiveness of sins and the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. James, on the other hand, means by justification Justification in its demonstration of itself by the good works of the justified sinner. Now I give some warnings to make the truth of the difference between Paul and James clear. To explain James as teaching justification in the same saving sense that it has in Paul is heresy the Roman Catholic heresy, the Galatian heresy, and today 
the federal vision heresy. Second, if I preach a strong sermon in your church on justification by faith alone, utterly and totally ruling works out in the matter of justification, as taught by Paul in Romans and Galatians, and one of you objects to my sermon afterwards saying, but James too teaches, you are at that time a Roman Catholic, a Galatian, and a federal vision heretic. Do not explain Paul and James this way, that Paul teaches justification as something that goes on in heaven, apart from my consciousness, whereas James is teaching justification in my consciousness, as though when God justifies me off in heaven, of which I am not aware, he justifies me by faith alone, but when he justifies me in my consciousness, he justifies me partly by faith and partly by works. That's heresy. Paul is teaching justification in the sinner's consciousness. He's teaching justification by faith, the knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ, which is certainly the conscious activity of the born-again child of God. He's teaching faith as experiential. He's teaching justification by faith so that we have peace with God. My works do not assure me of my justification. I am certain of my justification by faith alone. In fact, if I look at my works closely in the matter of being sure of my justification, I have good reason to doubt my justification because I have only a small beginning of the new obedience. And even in my best works, I violate the law of God, and God's righteousness demands perfection, the perfection of the holy Jesus Christ throughout his entire life and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ by his crucifixion. Good works do not demonstrate my justification to me. Good works demonstrate my justification to you and to Satan and his angels who may be looking on. I conclude with this admonition that the Protestant Reformed churches have a calling with regard to justification. In light of current developments, this is a calling that the Protestant Reformed churches are uniquely qualified to carry out, especially in this anniversary year of the Reformation. I wonder whether the Protestant Reformed churches today are not in the position fundamentally that Luther was in when he nailed the 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. This is not to boast, but this is to confront the Protestant Reformed churches with their awesome and unique calling. I do not know of any major Presbyterian or Reformed or Calvinistic denomination that teaches the unconditional covenant. All are agreed, as far as I know, in teaching that the covenant of God with the children of believers is conditional. That's justification by works. And that keeps them from being capable of taking on the heresy of the federal or covenant vision today with its denial of justification by faith alone. We have a calling to preach and confess and defend justification by faith alone. We must preach that gospel of justification by faith alone. We must preach it simply because anniversary or no anniversary, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the hinge on which the entire gospel of Jesus Christ turns. Justification by faith alone, without the works of the sinner. But this becomes especially urgent because of the spreading heresy of justification by works. Not only are we to proclaim this gospel truth, we are to defend it. We must be polemical. We must be controversial. And if we have no stomach for polemics and controversy, there's something wrong with our stomach. The gospel 
of justification by faith alone demands defense of itself in our day. Defended against Rome, defended against Arminianism, defended against the federal vision, the threat of our day, and defended against any teaching that makes James qualify Paul in the matter of justification by faith alone. And then live out of justification by faith alone. That doesn't mean, first of all, that you do this and that and the other thing, but living out of justification by faith alone today, tonight, and every moment of our lives means that we live in peace with God. Is there anything more precious to you than living in peace with God, knowing that God is at peace with you? By the truth of justification by faith alone, we have peace with God. Live in that peace. And then living out of this truth will mean an active, obedient Christian life, according to the law, not to be just, but in gratitude for free justification. There is a motive for Christian living that is far more powerful than terror, the fear of going to hell, and far more powerful than working hard in order to placate an angry God. That motive is gratitude, with love as the heartbeat of that gratitude. And if somebody here is working, working strenuously in good works with any other motive than gratitude out of love to God for justifying us through the cross of Christ, I must tell him he is sinning in all his efforts at Christian living. Gratitude is the motive of the Christian life, the implication of, the fruit of, And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, the certain result of faith in Christ that justifies. My concluding word is in Latin. Sola fide justificat, said fide non sola est. That was the response of all the reformers in their day to Rome's claim that justification is by faith alone, that justification is by faith and works, and that any other doctrine makes good works impossible. The Latin phrase means this, faith alone justifies, but faith is not alone. Thank you for your attention.